Amen. I get so excited when they start the service with that song. They've really worked hard at that. I appreciate that. Thank you, choir. Well, we're going to start the service tonight by standing and singing the song, The Solid Rock. If you please stand with me tonight, we'll sing The Solid Rock. phrase in that song that says, faultless before him I stand. That's a wonderful thought to know that our sins are forgiven and we stand on him. Well, we're glad you're here tonight. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth that we do stand before you faultless. Our sins have been forgiven and, and taken care of on the cross at Calvary. Thank you that we stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that that is the very thing that brings us together tonight is our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And we're here to worship you. We're here to hear from you and from your word. We pray that you'll bless this service and encourage us, meet the needs of each one here tonight. And Lord, we pray that you'll just uh, again help us to open our hearts and minds to you and allow you to speak to us, allow your Holy Spirit to, to speak and stir and change us and May our lives be different because of the time we spent together with you this week. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Let's see. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. How many of you have been here all the services of the revival so far? Amen. Good, good. Anybody here, this is your first time, first service of of the revival meeting. All right, good. Brother Skips was out of town and then back in and not feeling well. We're glad he's feeling better in here tonight. Very good. All right. One more night. Don't break your record, okay? Be here every night. Be back tomorrow night. Invite somebody to come and be with you tomorrow. Listen to the choir. They're going to sing the song Justified. Yeah. 
choir. What a blessing. We will stand before that throne justified as Christians is saved. Thank you, choir. We're going to stand and sing our welcome song this month or this week. Revive us again. Revive us again. We're going to sing verse number four tonight. Revive us again. Fill his heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Let's sing that tonight as the choir goes on down. us again. That's what we want. I hope that's your prayer for this week. We're going to ask the Adams family to come and sing for us at this time. was once my home, I was a 
Thank you, Adam's family. It's a beautiful song, and it's very encouraging to get to hear a family sing. I'll never forget the times we were traveling along and we sang. Didn't always have a pianist in the car, but we sure had the, the music going a cappella as much as we could. That's a good thing for families to be able to do, is sing good music in their homes. We're going to have the next song we're going to sing. You're going to need something in your hands. So get your Bible ready. We're going to sing the song, Hold the Fort. If you'll please stand up with me. We'll sing this together. When at the end, wave the answer back to heaven. Wave your answer back to heaven.
if it's more of an encouragement to sing that song out or see all those Bibles waving in the air. You may be seated. Thank you. I was looking to see how many was waving their phone because they had their Bible on their phone, but it looked like most of you had your Bible up there. All right. Well, it's been a good week, good few days that we've had with Brother Lonnie Moore and his wife, Gail. We're delighted to have them here with us. Brother Moore is going to come and sing for us, and then he's going to preach. Brother Lonnie. Praise the Lord. Well, it's wonderful, wonderful to be saved and have such a wonderful Savior, and I trust every one of you can sing along with me on this song, Oh, What a Savior is Mine. Bethlehem Calvary Savior, he's mine. 
uttermost. He's wonderful. He's glorious. Oh, what a Savior is mine. Lifting my burdens, relieving my cares. Oh, what a Savior is mine, giving me courage to do and to dare. Oh, what a Savior is mine. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior is mine. to do and to dare. Oh, what a Savior is mine. I trust he's yours as well. Amen. Well, we just had come in. I, I've been sold out of everything, really, but we did have some CDs, are Christmas CDs that are shipped here from my family. And if you like Christmas music, I promise you, you'll not find better. And uh, my uh, four daughters and my wife join, join us singing Christmas songs, some of the songs on here that we wrote. And uh, so they might be new to you. But the last one, if you like the Hallelujah Chorus, my family, we sing that. And it sounds like there's a big choir singing, and uh, we got an orchestration, everything. I believe you'll enjoy that. But all of the uh, books that we have back there, and I've got the singing made simple that I did uh, a course for homeschools or Christian schools and uh, teaching how to sing. And I believe anyone could improve their singing. And uh, if you may have got started late in life, and uh, you, you may be a little bit behind, but... You may not get where you once could have been, but you can improve. I believe that. And so I've got some uh, things here, a course. In fact, it's an online course, but right now we're in a transition of our website. So, but it soon, Lord willing, will be back up and running again. You can download uh, every, uh, every uh, of the concepts of singing, and I'm teaching that. And if that can be a help, $10 a piece. Uh, for any books, uh, CD that is back there, and uh, or you can get four for thirty dollars. So that's a, that's the blue light special. If we can be a help to you, then uh, go by and visit the table after the service. Take your Bible, if you would, turn to First Kings chapter nine. First Kings 
chapter 9. I'd like to preach tonight on vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. How important it is for each of us to have a vision. And it's important for a church to have a vision. But you know, a, your vision is really from the perspective that you view. Uh, <clears throat> have you ever maybe uh, witnessed an accident? And maybe you saw it one way, but perhaps someone on the opposite side of the street. Brother Mike, I'm sure you've had to contend with this a few times. And maybe they had a different perspective. And uh, they, they describe it maybe differently, but from their vantage point. I remember when I was in uh, college, I was on the second floor, and I was early for my class, and so I heard sirens. And so I went to the window and looked out upon Macaulay Avenue that went right by uh, Tennessee Temple uh, where, when I was in school there. <clears throat> Orchard Knob approaching Macaulay Avenue really is a blind avenue. I mean, it's, there's buildings close. Orchard Knob was not very wide. And, but you got that busy one lane. I mean, it's three lanes just busy going by there. Cars getting, you know, pretty good speed through there. But I heard the siren, so I looked, and there's a policeman coming through the blind alley approaching Macaulay Avenue. Cars are coming. Well, two cars in the right-hand lanes of Macaulay, they stop. They slow down. They, hear the, they can see and hear. But there's a fella coming on the inside. He doesn't see where the siren is coming from. And that policeman just comes right on into the traffic and T-bones. This guy coming up the left side knocked him. I mean, it just went, went around, and my 1974 Dodge Charger was parked right on the corner on the side there. And I'm watching this whole thing. And I mean, I, my heart just jumps up into my throat. I mean, oh, no. And I, and I see this thing. I see the car. It's, uh, it's the policeman. He just knocks it around. And it missed my 1974 Dodge Charger just by an inch. And I was so glad. But I ran down. And I was, you know, I, I was on the scene there. And there were some other students that had been standing down there uh, that were perhaps going to class. But... Uh, the policeman, no one was hurt, and the policeman come out, and here come the police, and, and they're taking everybody's statements. And I heard statements like this. Oh, that guy was just flying up the road, and it's his fault, and it's his fault. But from my vantage point, I had a vantage point where I could see all the directions clearly, and I knew that man could not possibly see that policeman where he was coming from. And from my vantage point, Brother Mike, I had to say, no, I believe at this case, the policeman is at fault here. Now, it all depends on your vantage point. Perhaps how you see a certain situation or circumstances. We're going to find tonight that there are two people who have a vision, and what they see in a place is totally, totally different. When I was in college, <clears throat> I 
Some of you may love this course, but this was the most difficult course that I had when I was in college, and it was called psychology. Now, psychology, to me, uh, was very difficult. I struggled the most in that course, especially when you have multiple, multiple choice tests. Every test was a multiple, multiple choice. They made you really think. Now, I knew, you know, it would be like this, you know. I knew A and C was right, but I wasn't sure about D. And, and it would say A and, and uh, uh, C is correct, or A, C, and D is right, or all of the above, or none of the above is correct. And now you had to decide. You might, and, and it wouldn't do, you couldn't just partly know the answer. You had to know the whole thing. I never really, I can't recall much that I learned from that psychology course. But I, I still have the book. I still have my psychology book, and I look through it every now and then. I can remember the pictures, the pictures that was in the book. Now, there was this section that was uh, on, you know, the kinds of different types of people. There are optimists and they're pessimists, you know, in this world. And they had these pictures that would help diagnose whether you were an optimist or a pessimist. And what it was about these pictures is one picture, but you could see different things in it according to whether you was an optimist or a pessimist. Now, they had this picture called the hag and the princess. Now, in this picture, if you, were a, if you were a pessimist, you saw the old hag. I mean, it looked just like an old witch. I mean, a wart on her nose. But on the other hand, if you, were an, if you were an optimist, you could see the beautiful princess sitting there. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one I saw. <laughs> But once it was pointed out to you, you could see both of them. You could see the beautiful princess sitting there, and you could see that old ugly hag in that picture that depicted both. There have been others that I've seen. Some of you may have, maybe have seen this beautiful girl sitting at a vanity mirror. But if you look at it back from it, it looks like, you know, a skull, a picture of death. Here is this beautiful picture of this young lady sitting at a vanity mirror, a picture of life. But if you step back, you could see that from another perspective. It's the picture of death. Same picture. It's all in how you view the picture. It's kind of like <clears throat> these two mice. There was two mice that fell into a bucket of milk. And... Uh, they, one said, this is terrible. We'll never get out of here. We're going to die. And he drowned. The other mouse, he just kept paddling, paddling and paddling, churned the milk into butter, hopped up on the butter, and hopped out of the bucket and went on his way. My brother Lathan when we were both at uh, those college years, and uh, we both worked at a steel fabrication plant. 
there in Rossville, Georgia. And we did a lot of government work and built a lot of steel and so on for a lot of these big power dams. And, and um, came up near Christmas time, and uh, during the Carter years, everything began to shut down. And uh, a lot of the government contracts and so on got shut, shut off, and, and uh, our company had to scale back, and a lot of people were losing their jobs. My brother, I'd been there a while, and I was, my job was safe and secure, but my, my brother, uh, he got laid off just a couple of weeks before Christmas. Christmas coming up, and now no job, and uh, he is wondering, what am I going to do? Didn't have a present at all for his wife, my, my sister-in-law, Linda. So what am I going to do? And so uh, there's a fellow in the church was selling Electrolux vacuum cleaners. And he said to my brother, he said, you know, if you will take one of these vacuum cleaners and you sell it, you'll get a, a shampooer. They'll give you a shampooer. And my brother thought, well, you know, I would have a present, a Christmas present for Linda. And so he went out and sure enough, first house he went to, he sold that Electrolux got the shampooer, and he said, you know, this is not too hard. He went out again. The next night, sold another one. Sold three that week. Within a year, my brother was the top salesman in all of Georgia. A couple of years went by, and the company approached my brother, said, you know, you would do well in management. And uh, there's a store available, an office available, and uh, we'd like for you to take this store in Princeton, West Virginia. Now, this is West Virginia, and it is during the time of those years of recession. My brother had never been in business before, and he didn't know, know a lot about it, but he thought, well, you know, this, this is a great company to work for, and I'm doing well, and they say I'm going to do well. And so he moved his family to Princeton, West Virginia. And what they gave him during those, when all the coal mines in West Virginia were shut down, people were laid off, they gave him the store that was the worst store in all of the division. It was deep in the red. And what my brother found out, yeah, you're on commission. I mean, if it's not doing well, you're not making any money. And here my brother was already there. And so my brother, he just went to work at it. Do you know that within a year, he took the store from the bottom to the top of the division? Another year went by, and the position came available for uh, the position next to the vice president and the Electrolux Corporation. And guess who they gave it to? I mean, the fellow who went, took the store where one man failed. One man failed. I mean, he took it to the bottom. My brother took the same place, uh, the store in the same place. He took it to the top. What's the difference? It's vision. It's vision. In 1961, there was a Baptist missionary that came to eastern Kentucky and uh, 
tried to start a work up in a little community called Sugar Camp. In fact, when I'll be leaving this meeting on tomorrow night, I'll be headed to Boonville, Kentucky. Every year we do a tent meeting up there, and we'll be, I'll be preaching in that tent meeting up there in Boonville, Kentucky. Well, this Baptist missionary in 1961, he had tried to begin, been, had start a work in a little place called Sugar Camp, up in the head of a holler. Now, Dr. Harold B. Seitler, if some of you may recognize that name, he uh, was invited to preach a meeting by another man that has, had uh, started a work on the other side of the county, and it invited Dr. Seitler to come up and preach a revival meeting. And Dr. Seitler said on the first night, he said, I struck out. I'm trying to connect with the people. I'm trying to commend them uh, for their, their way of life. And he said something about what a blessing it was not to have a telephone. And if you can imagine, it was a blessing not to have a telephone for the busy, busy calls of 1961. Oh my, what is it today? But Dr. Seitler, he said, how wonderful it is not to have a telephone. And uh, those people thought he was making light of them. No one else came back to the meeting the next night except this preacher that had tried to start a work up in Sugar Camp. He said to Dr. Seiler, would you come and see this place, this work, where I'm at? He said, my wife and I, we have had a nervous breakdown, both of us. We've got to leave here. Maybe your great church could do something. Maybe send someone here to take this work. Dr. Seitler went back, told about the burden that he had for people up in eastern Kentucky. And my dad, just finishing Bible college, who had had a poor education and struggled through college, Bible college, uh, he wanted to be a missionary. All of his friends were going to various mission fields around the world. My dad said, Lord, I can't pass the English course how can I learn another language? And he's sitting there in that, that service that morning. Dr. Seitler told about the need and said, I'm so burdened for that place. And the Lord laid upon my dad's heart to go to up to Boonville, Kentucky, into that same community where five people had been killed that year that had given the preacher and his wife a nervous breakdown, and they went out. And my dad took my mother and four little children. I was the third of four and four years old at that time. And dad took us in there. Same holler. Same community. One preacher struck out. My dad went in there and started a work, spent 41 years in the same place, in the same community, led those people to the Lord, stayed faithful, served God there, and changed the community to the Lord. What is it? One man fails in, the, in this area, same place. Another man goes into the same place. And yes, by the way, my dad, I found out after he passed, I've gone through all my dad's 
things going through his desk, and I find his uh, grades from uh, Tennessee Temple, uh, where he finished in 19 and the and the spring of 1961. F, all four years. He took English four times and got an F. And my dad thinking, now, Lord, I can't pass the English course. How, could I, how can I uh, learn a foreign language? And, and he said, when he got up there, it was like the Lord said, how about people that can't even read? You think you might be able to handle that, let alone pass an English course? And God, and I, and I believe this, I believe every one of us is fitted. All the experiences of your life, the circumstances of your life, you are fearfully, wonderfully made, both body and spirit and soul. You are fitted for the will of God for your life. And there is a place that God has, uh, I mean, just like the Garden of Eden that God had planted and he had Adam, he made Adam for that place. And he took Adam there and put him there. I believe that just as real each of us, there's a place, there's a purpose that each of us are fitted for, we are made for. No one else ever in history, never, never ever in this world can do what God has prepared you already far, but I'm going to tell you what it'll take. It'll take vision. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. Now I want us to look here at this passage of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 9, and then if you'll put your finger right in there, we're going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 8. And then we'll look over in Matthew chapter 4. Here is a place that is described from the vision of these three men. The same place that is described. Now I want you to notice, first of all, here in 1 Kings chapter 9, we read that Solomon is trying to settle a debt. He's trying to settle a debt. I mean, he's, he has a tremendous debt because he's built the temple and he's built the palace He's run up an enormous debt that he decided he would pay the king of Tyre, uh, Hiram. He would settle the debt by giving him some cities in the land of Galilee. I don't think that would be a bad idea. I know we have gotten ourselves in some incredible debts. Maybe we could give China... San Francisco. <laughs> I just came from California. They said there's 50 blocks in L.A. that is vacated because the businesses can no longer stay there because uh, of the conditions in L.A. I don't know. Maybe New York City would come in somewhere along that line. But I don't, this is what Solomon decided to do. Let's settle the debt. And he tells Hiram, I'm going to give you some land, uh, some land and some cities in Galilee. Hiram is excited about it. Oh, that's wonderful. And so let's read the account here. Verse 10. 
And it came to pass at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, had furnished Solomon with cedar trees and fir trees and with gold according to all his desire. That then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. And Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they pleased him not. And he said, What cities are these which thou hast given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul unto this day. If you're wondering what Kabul means, it means Kabul. Just like it sounds, that's what it means. What is this? You've given me. Why, this is Kabul. That's what Hiram said. Now, that's his vision. That's what he sees when he gets out and begins to survey these, this land and this place. Turn now, if you would, to 2 Chronicles chapter 8. Verse number 1. And it came to pass at the end of 20 years, wherein Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house, that the cities which Huram had restored to Solomon, Solomon built them and caused the children of Israel to dwell there. Same place. One man says, this is Kabul. Another man says, something can be done here. I've got a vision. I, I, I'm going to build this place. I believe this will be a place where people will desire to live. Now turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. We find another one who's come into this land. And uh, verse number 12, now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulon and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness, saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Same place, but it's all in how you see it in vision. Let's consider the vision of these three. First of all, let's consider Huram a man with poor vision. Poor vision. As he steps out upon uh, the, the terrain and looking over this place, nothing, he says, can be done in this place. This is Kabul. Let's notice what he saw. What was his vision? What was it that he saw? First of all, he saw the darkness. This land... That land of Galilee was called the land of darkness. Isaiah saw, uh, said of this place, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, 
When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. But what could Hiram see? He just saw the darkness. I'm going to tell you in this age in which we're living now and here in America, most Christians, let me say, what most Christians are seeing now in America, as they look upon America, they see the darkness that has enveloped our country and our nation. And most Christians have have just to, uh, to have begun to say, oh, this land, it is Kabul. It is a land of darkness. Nothing can be done here. And so it is with our communities and our, the streets in which we live and our cities. We, we, we have begun to say, oh, we're living in a land of darkness. How dark our nation has become. And if we're not careful we will have the same attitude that Hiram had. Nothing can be done here. It's too dark in this place. Not only did he see the darkness, but he saw the dirt. He saw the dirt. The word Kabul means dirty. Oh, this is a dirty place. I remember my dad, early on, uh, we had a neighbor that would torment, I mean, he would, he would torment us. Uh, he would, he would uh, off times, he would shoot his high-powered rifle. He would shoot our dogs right in our yard. My mother, I mean, she was terrorized so many times. Sometimes on a Sunday morning during the service, he would take his rifle and ring the church bell. I mean, that, that was Willie Terry, was his name. One day, my dad stopped in the little community store that's about like, about like the size of this platform right here, not much bigger than this platform. About every little holler had one. Right at the mouth of the holler would be a little, little country store. And they would just have the basic goods. And uh, most of them were all about all the same. Shelves along the walls. A pot-bellied stove. A counter there where Green Bowman, uh, that owned the store, where he was always positioned. Around the pot-bellied stove, there would be uh, usually three or four or five, maybe sometimes men, just, you know, chewing the fat and uh, talking around the old pot-bellied stove. One day, my dad, he had uh, need of something in the store. He just drove up, and as you would do, no parking lot. You just park in the road. And dad stepped up into the store. And just when he stepped up in the store, it got real quiet. And so he knew then the conversation must have been about the preacher. Now, Willie Terry was sitting over on a pop crate behind the pot-bellied stove. Willie got a, had a pop bottle in his hand, 
and he walked around to where my dad was. He said, Preacher, there's not enough room in this holler for me and you both. And I was here first. My dad said, Willie, I don't know who called you here, but the Lord called me here, and I'm staying. He said, you may go out in a wooden overcoat, a pine box. He said, you, uh, you, you, you may not go out like you come in. My dad said, Willie, if the Lord wants me to go out in a pine box, I just want you to know I am staying till the Lord takes me out. And Willie lost his courage, set his pop bottle down, went back and sat back down on the pop crates. Within a year, the Lord kept Willie at his promise. And Willie lost his farm to the bank, the banker. And, the, and he had to move across town and cross the river, ford the river, to get to his place where he was living. Long story short, my dad led Willie to the Lord. And he began to bring Willie to church. Go pick him up. Willie said, Preacher, there's some people living up here on Fish Trap. He said, Now, uh, Preacher, he says, the, uh, Would there be any way we could start reaching, bringing them to church? And there's a whole community up there. Now, let me tell you about Fish Trap. Now, these people that lived in Fish Trap, they were the dirtiest people I've ever seen in my life. And I am not making this up because this is an experience that I had. Some of these people, you would wipe your feet off when you walked out the door. The only bath they'd ever get was when they'd be caught in the rain somewhere. And I tell you, it was, uh, if you ever at school, your desk, as mine was, got positioned right next to one of those kids that lived on Fitzgerald Hill. It would take your breath away. My dad bought an old 1943 Ford bus. Very rare. I, I, wish, I wish he had kept that because there was, that was during the war years. Very few were made. He bought that old bus. A fella had it for a camper. Had a pot-bellied stove in the back. My dad put seats in it, and my dad started his second church. He drove that up to hill on the uh, Fish Trap Hill, and uh, my dad would bring get all those people out of there and come on that bus, and my dad would have church. Now, me and my brothers and my sister, my sister played the accordion, and we would sing. And then my dad, he would, he couldn't, Hardly stand all the way up. Those buses were kind of short. So he'd get down in the wheel well of the bus and he'd preach to them down that, uh, down the, uh, through that bus. I can remember sometimes snow coming down uh, in the wintertime there and the windows all up and you couldn't breathe. I mean, it was hard to get a good, decent breath. Now, a lot of people would say, Oh, these people, they're too dirty. Uh, that, that, that's not my class of people. Really, nothing really can be done there. But my dad started his second church 
with those people. See, Hiram, what he saw, he saw the darkness. He saw the dirt. There was somebody else that saw it the same way. You read about him in John chapter 1 and verse 46. His name, and Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. I believe perhaps Nazareth was one of those cities. Hiram said, no, nothing can be done here. Nothing good can come out of this place. It's too dirty. And as Nazareth was known as one of those dirty cities, we know what came out of Nazareth, don't we? But the vision of Hiram, what he saw, he saw the darkness, he saw the dirt, he saw disappointment. Can't you hear it? And what he says, what is this? What is this, my brother? He saw the disappointment. He, 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 you can hear it. I deserve more than this. And it may be that you, for you and for me, all times we find our situation and our circumstances and our geographical location, we might get the idea, God, what are you doing here? I, I deserve better than this. I, I deserve a better place than this. This place is too dirty. This place is too dark. This place is, dis is a disappointment. But also he saw defeat. When the disciples looked upon the man who went away, who seemingly had all the prospects. They were amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. It's our vision. Notice what he did not see. That's what he saw, but what he did not see. He, he did not see beyond the difficulties. In every situation the Lord Jesus found himself in, we find that Jesus made a difference. In every place, in every circumstance, he didn't. But he could not see beyond the difficult circumstances. And if you're not careful, you'll be consumed with the difficulties, not considering what Jesus can do. He did not see beyond the dirt. These people are not worth fooling with. When Jesus came to Simon, as Peter confessed of himself, I depart from me for I am a sinful man. Jesus said to Peter, he says, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. You see, he couldn't see what Jesus could see. He couldn't see beyond the dirt. And aren't you glad the Lord Jesus didn't just see what you and I were? He saw what we would be. He did not see beyond the dread. This is just too hard. He couldn't see beyond the dread, but as God said to Abraham, 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? He couldn't see beyond the present day. And if you're not careful, you and I will see today. And we'll get caught up in today and how difficult everything is. And you and I, we're, we're very careful. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll throw up our hands because we say, see the way it is today. He couldn't see, you see, on tomorrow. He couldn't see beyond the, the, the present day. Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. If the farmer cannot see beyond the planting of the seed, if he cannot see yet four months, and then cometh the harvest, he will never plant the seed. Oh, this ground is too hard. This ground is too dry. This ground is too difficult. But no, there must be vision. We must be able to see beyond the present day, but most importantly, he did not see what the day star could do. The prophecies concerning the day star, that the day star would arise, that there would be a light that would shine. That same prophecy that was, give, was given and concerning that place, that land of Galilee, there would be a day star that would make all the difference that would shine light in that dark world and in that dark place. Peter said, we have a, also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Peter was one of those men of Galilee. And he said, there was a day my heart was dark, but the day star, the day star arose. He could not see it, though. Hiram could not see what the day star could do. That's Hiram's vision. A man with poor vision. But let's now look at and consider Solomon's vision. A man with clear vision. What was it that Solomon saw? What was it when Solomon looked upon the same place? What was it that he could see? You see, he saw a place in need. It seems today so many are looking for a place that has no need. What Solomon saw, here's a place that needs me. He, he saw not only a place in need, but a purpose, a purpose for his life. My dad, he wondered, oh God, is there any place for me? Oh God, do you have a purpose for my life? But when he got put into the sugar camp, he saw a purpose for his, his life. He began to realize this is why God saved me. 
This is where, where God has designed for me. This is a place, this is a purpose for my life. Not only did he see a place in need and a purpose for his life, and Solomon was a builder. He said, this place needs me. He saw a plan. Now, there's a lot of people who just expect it just to happen. All right, God, you've got me here. Now, uh, Lord, go at it. But Solomon had to have a plan. I believe Solomon, in his vision, he could see uh, streets and he could see the marketplace and he could see the synagogue and he could see the place and rows of houses and and, and he could see uh, the place where the, the, the offices and the government uh, would be run from that city. He could see that, you see. And he developed a plan. Solomon worked the plan and he began to do that. How did this place get here? I've enjoyed talking with Brother Tim and how that he, and telling me about how the, uh, the process and everything for this. Now, this place didn't just pop up out of the ground here. Now, I remember when it was being built. I, I remember the old building, preaching over there in the old building. And Brother Tim, all the way over to the old house. Everything. And listen, this didn't just happen by accident. There was a plan, and Brother Tim, he went to work at it, and God used him in a great way. And, and listen, it cannot just be from the pulpit here. What is needed at Northern Kentucky Baptist Church for every ministry and every minister that is in this church, whether it be a Sunday school class, uh, whether it be a uh, ministry, the addictions, or, or whether it even be the nursery, but everyone that has a, a play, place, you've got to realize it needs a plan. You're going to have to say, oh, all right, God, you're going to have to show me what I need to do here. And God will give it to you. I mean, He'll give you a vision. He'll give you a vision for the place that He has for your life. He could see people. I don't think Solomon, Hiram stepped out there and he saw land that didn't look like it had much promise. Solomon, it says there in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, and he caused the children of Israel to dwell there. I mean, he, he made it so and until people, there were people there in those lands. There were people there living in those houses and in those cities. There was people there. And tonight we have people here because somebody before, the, before you and I ever congregated in this place tonight, someone years ago could see people here at the Northern Kentucky Baptist Church or it would never happen. And for your life, you've got to see be, uh, beyond yourself and you've got to see people, you've got to see others and you've got to get your eyes off of yourself. Hiram could not get his eyes off of himself. What is this you've done to me, my brother? I deserve more than this. He couldn't see beyond himself, you see. But Solomon, he could see people. He saw a finished product. He saw the cities built. 
He saw the people move there. He saw the cities growing, prospering. He had vision. What he did not see. That's what he saw. What was he did he did not see? He he refused to see. He did not see the darkness. He saw the light. And can I say, if my dad in that difficult place would have allowed himself, he would have been just like his predecessor. He wouldn't have lasted no more than he did, six months. But you see, he didn't see the darkness. He kept his eyes on the light. He walked in the light as he is in the light. And and you and I, in this dark age in which we're living, we must be walking in the light. Paul said, it's time to wake out of sleep. We're not children of the night. We're to walk in the light. You and I must focus and keep our eyes on Him. He did not see the discouragement. The devil will do his best. God lays upon your heart a work. You can mark it down. The devil will do everything to discourage you. It'll come from everywhere. The devil will use people to discourage you. He will use your family to discourage you. He will use circumstances to discourage you. And if you dwell on the discouragement, you'll be defeated. But he would not look upon the discouragement, but the encouragement. He did not see the distractions. And boy, the devil will send the distractions your way. There'll be everything else you you can be doing. And if you're not careful, you'll easily be distracted because of the difficulty perhaps of the work in which you're involved in. So easy to get distracted and get sidelined and And as I was preaching on Sunday, on that journey of life that you're on, and you've got a destination that you were made for in your life, but it's so easily get distracted and get off on the scenic route and find yourself detoured and going the wrong way. But he would not... He did not see the distractions, but he saw the attractions. And can I say, serving God, serving the Lord is wonderful. The beauty of holiness, as Psalm 29, 2 says, Given to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I'm going to tell you, he's wonderful. And I'm going to tell you how wonderful it is when you see what God will do in an old sinner and change their life, how a a life that was wrecked and ruined by sin, the beauty of a life that is uh, given to God. He didn't see the distractions but the attractions. He did not see defeat. He saw the victory. In closing, 
consider, if you would, the vision of Christ. The same place where Jesus began his ministry, where Jesus centered his ministry, was this land of Kabul. This land of the shadow of death. This land of people that sat in darkness. This land of the Gentiles. This was the land where uh, the Assyrians brought all the various nations, the Gentiles, into this land and settled in this land and where the Samaritans mixed with them and, and those Samaritans despised by the Jews became. But Jesus centered his ministry in the land, the undesirable land of the Gentiles. Does that mean anything to you tonight? You and I that sit here tonight, gathered together here tonight, we Gentiles. Does that mean anything to you? I'm, I, I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus, where he saw and where he centered his ministry was in this place. What was it that he saw? I'll tell you what Christ saw in you and me. The hope of glory. It's Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ, He saw beyond our sin, and He saw beyond who we were, what we would be, the hope of glory. And you and I, that's what we have in Him. Uh, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's what Christ saw in you and me, but it's also what Christ sees in your neighbor. That's where what Christ sees in that community in which you live. That's what Christ sees in that difficult place or ministry. God wants you in. He sees in you, He sees in them the hope of glory. What Christ saw was a glorious church. Northern Kentucky, why are you here? Why do you exist? You know why? Christ saw. He saw here. He could see this place. Ephesians 5.27, that he might present it to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I know, I remember being those early years, not long after you started, here, we started in Nicholasville. And I guess maybe it's because of my upbringing and my dad and teaching us to pray and to care for others. And my dad came from a drunkard's family and his brothers and my grandpa were lost, wicked, taught us to care and to pray every day. We prayed every day for them. And I could hear my dad often praying for those people up there. 
And so I, I, I believe I developed a heart for people like that. And that's really how I really, the church that we started, we, we just went after people that no one else would go after. And I remember meeting uh, Jimmy Calico. And Jimmy Calico was the town drunk. I mean, the town drunk. His, um, and his sister, he had a sister. She was as terrible of a drunk as he was. I led both of them to the Lord. And um, really they were difficult. I mean, there were a lot of problems. They'd fall off the wagon often. And, um, I, and, and yes, the devil would often say, why are you even fooling with these people? But I, I loved them, and oh, they loved me for someone just to care for them. Jimmy lived in a little smokehouse, and the little tiny smokehouse, it was, I guess, is probably not much more than eight feet long and, and maybe six feet wide. Only had one chair in his smokehouse where he lived. It was a potty chair, so I never sat down. He would sit on his bed, cook on his stove, reach in his refrigerator, never getting off the bed, get whatever he wanted. And he just lived uh, an old drunkard's life. That's where he lived. I'd go pick him up every Sunday and bring him to church. One day my song leader said, Preacher, I just, he came by my house. He said, Preacher, I just saw Jimmy stumble into the Lily pad. Now the lily pad was the low end bar in town. I said, well, let's go. He said, where, preacher? I said, let's go get him. He said, really, preacher? I said, yeah, let's go get him. And so I took my song leader, and we drove downtown, and I walked in, we walked into the bar. You, you know, I, well, maybe, you, maybe you don't know, but I'll tell you what it's like. It's dark in there. And you walk inside, uh, they say it's so that if an, one man's with another man's wife and some, her husband walks in, he's got time before his eyes can adjust to slip out of there and get away. That dark place. And I saw Jimmy. There he was, leaning over the bar. And he had his drink in his hand. And he's looking down in it. And I walked up beside of Jimmy, and I put my arm around Jimmy, and I looked down into his face. Jimmy looked up. Oh, preacher. I said, come on, Jimmy. And I took him back to his smokehouse, had a fifth of liquor in the back pocket, and I poured it out. Jimmy never did much in our church. Jimmy got bone cancer. And uh, he was very sick. I missed him at church for a couple of Sundays. So I went by to check on him. I knew it was his birthday. It was April the 1st. He was an April Fool's uh, birthday. And Gail fixed him some food, plate of food, and she fixed him some cake. 
for his birthday. So I went out, checked on Jimmy, and when I walked in that Sunday afternoon, Jimmy was laid on his bed. And I said, hey, Jimmy, happy birthday. I brought you some food. He said, just set it on the stove. He said, I can't get up, preacher. I said, Jimmy, you've got to go to the hospital. Oh, no, preacher. No, I'm not going back to the hospital. I said, Jimmy, you can't lay here and die. Next day, I went out to check on Jimmy. There he still lay in that bed, hadn't gotten up. I said, Jimmy, you've got to go to the hospital. He said, oh, preacher, I'm so dirty. And he said, I, 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 I just can't go like that. I said, Jimmy, you've got to go to the hospital. He said, well, preacher, would you help me? Would you clean me up a little bit? And I got a bucket of water and some soap and helped him get his clothes off and he'd scream every time I'd move him. And I gave him a bath, shaved his face, put new clean clothes on him, called the ambulance, helped load him up, went to the hospital with him. By the way, the wealthiest people in the state of Kentucky, railroad people, if I were to call their name, you probably would know who I'm talking about. That's his first cousin. I called all of his family that I could. Nobody would come. It's just Jimmy, the old town drunk. And I'd talk with Jimmy, and Jimmy, he'd say, and, and, and he got where I couldn't understand what he was saying, but the last things I could understand, he said, Preacher, I hadn't drunk in six months, Preacher. And he reminded me once again, he said, You know, Preacher, they said when I was a boy I could have been a preacher. You know, I won the Bible, and I still got, and I'd seen his Bible. He won it memorizing the most scripture. He went away to World War II, came back a drunk. And so as I stayed with Jimmy up till he died, preached his funeral, led three of his nieces to the Lord, baptized them, led another one of his sisters to the Lord, baptized her, led uh, several of her grandchildren to the Lord and baptized them. And of those grandchildren, God gave me three preachers. One of them is my son-in-law. From leading an old town drunk that no, most people would say he's not worth fooling with. God has given me three preachers, two of them pastors. And one of them is helping his son pastor another church. I'm just saying, it's vision. It's vision. What do you see tonight? Do you have vision? Are you seeing just all the negativity of this day and age? I'm going to tell you, it's for such a time as this that God has you and I where we are. And he has the place that you were born for. You, I really believe this. You have the body and you have the spirit 
Don't you envy anyone else. Oh, I wish I had the health or the body that they've got. No, God made you who you are. Oh, I wish I had the spirit they have. No, God has given you and equipped you with the spirit for the place, the journey, the purpose for your life. But you've got to have vision. You, and it's not what you can do. It's what God can do through you. You've got to avail yourself and let God have you. But you've got to have vision. It starts there. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Heavenly Father, Lord, tonight, give us a fresh and a new, a new vision. Lord, may we not say this message was for someone else. Lord, help us each to realize we are fearfully, wonderfully made. No one has ever lived as well equipped and with the purpose that each of us has. And Lord, you've gathered together these people in this place. Give them vision, Lord, for what you want here. May they continue and stay faithful while our heads are still bowed eyes still closed. Let me tell you what Christ has seen in each of you. And there may be someone here tonight that vision is not complete because you're lost. You do not know Jesus as your Savior. Is there someone here tonight say, Preacher, I do not know Christ as my Savior and I am. I am the reason for which He came. And I need that light to spring up in my soul. Pray for me. I need to be saved. Would you slip up your hand? Let me pray for you if you would do that. Preacher, I don't know for sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Would, would you slip up your hand? Anyone? All right. How about you tonight? What are you doing with your life? Oh, don't give God excuses. This is too hard. This is too difficult. Difficult. I'm not able, I'm going to tell you, as Jesus said to Peter, thou art Simon, thou shalt be, thou shalt be, called Cephas, a stone. God wants to do so much with your life. How many of you say, preacher, God spoke to me about my need and what I need to be doing. Pray with me about it. Would you slip up your hand? Amen, all over the place. All right, I want you to think about where you are, where you live where you work, your family, and why God put you there. Let's yield tonight. Let's ask God, God, give me the vision and surrender to it. Yield to it. Let God have his way. Let's all stand our feet, heads bowed, eyes closed. The pianist is playing. Do business with God tonight. It may not be that you're able to come and find a place at this altar, but you might be able to make an altar where your seat is. But do business with the Lord tonight. Ask the Lord to help you. It's not up to you. All you have to do is make yourself available. God can, God can do wonderful things in your life. Amen.
you may need to come and say, all right, Lord, I need you to help me in this place. It may be your family. You need God. God will. God will help you. You, you may think my family is just too hard and my life is too difficult. No, it's not. Not for God. Don't be a Hiram. Don't be that pessimist. Let God have His way. Will you surrender to the Lord tonight? Come on. Make an altar where your seat is. Let's sing that chorus. I surrender all. I surrender all. Let's do that. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Come on as we sing that first verse. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely people said. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Thank you, Brother Moore, for the great message tonight. May God give us a vision. Amen. What he wants to do in your life and in our lives. Well, we want to remind you of just a couple of announcements. One more night. Tomorrow night. Don't miss it. Seven o'clock. Be here tomorrow night. And uh, then Thursday night's R&R uh, for the uh, addictions and, and discipleship ministry, so keep that in mind if you would, and uh, be a part of that, those of you are, who are. And then also want to mention that on October the 14th, we have our next men's prayer breakfast. I believe there's a sign-up sheet in the lobby for that. We need the guys to begin to sign up for that and be a part of that. And uh, uh, the deadline for loving and leading conference is... Uh, Wednesday night, tomorrow night, so be sure and sign up for that if you haven't done so for that as well. Also, we have the feature devotion booklets for October, November, December. I think there's some down front and some in the lobby, and those are free. You can pick that up as you leave tonight if you haven't gotten one yet. For our offertory this evening, our offering again is a love offering for Brother Moore, a way of our expressing our appreciation and saying thank you for his coming and ministering to us and allowing the Lord to use him to speak to us and you have the opportunity to give tonight if you haven't done so. They're offering plates down front, there's some in the back. And if you can't get out of your row, hand it to somebody else and let them bring it up or drop it in the plate out in the welcome centers you leave tonight. Kristen Miller is going to play the flute for us and Jessica Risinger the piano.
Amen. Thank you, Kristen, and thank you, Jessica. We appreciate that. Let's stand together for a closing word of prayer. Let me say thank you for your faithfulness and being here. I know some of you worked hard. Some of you had school. You got school tomorrow. Thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. It's good to set these times aside, revival meeting, and just TVs turned off, everything else set aside. Just come and let the Lord work in our hearts and lives, and I appreciate your faithfulness. Appreciate the choir and their faithfulness, a good job that they're doing, and all the musicians and our nursery workers and little kids class, thankful for all that are serving the Lord. And it's an honor and a privilege. Amen? Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Brother Bob Adams, would you come lead us in our closing prayer? And let's all pray for Brother Clarence. He has his appointment tomorrow morning with the doctor. Uh, He's got some blockage, and they'll tell him what they uh, need to do. If they can't fix it, they'll just take him out and shoot him. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But uh, pray for for Brother Clarence. Is 8 o'clock tomorrow morning here? Eight o'clock tomorrow morning is his appointment, so let's pray for him. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy to us, Lord. Thank you that you loved us. Lord, you saw the darkness. You came and you died for us. And Lord, you brought us into light. What a wonderful Wonderful thing that is for us. And Lord, even tonight we gain encouragement because as we face darkness in our world, we can have hope in knowing what you've done uh, for us and through us. So we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Lord, I ask that you'd be with Clarence and give the doctors wisdom, work, work in his life and use the doctors to find out what's wrong and May the situation be treatable, and I pray that they, they would just uh, be able to easily treat him and, and make him whole, Lord, I pray. And just, just keep him with us and keep him strong and keep him going in the ministry and bless him and his, his family and his wife. And just continue to use him, I pray. And thank you for him. Thank you for his goodness and his love for us and, and the people that he serves here in this church. Lord, I ask that you continue to be with us this week, excited to hear what you're going to give Pastor Moore tomorrow. Just touch him and, and, and work in him and, and put, put your power upon him. And Lord, may we gain something and, and grow, and may we use that to win the lost and have uh, your heart and your desire in our lives. We love you. We ask that you go with us tonight and keep us safe on the way home. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen.